What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we are going to recap Elite 11 with a man who was on the ground and get straight to it. Fox Sports' basketball and football writer, Michael Cohen, was at Redondo, California for the two days of events that led to us finding out who is Elite 11 MVP. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, RJ. How are you, my friend? I'm good, brother. I am very excited to hear what you saw with your own two eyes at Elite 11. It's one of my favorite events, but let's try to figure out a definition for what Elite 11 is right here on the show for our listeners. I gave one last week. I'm curious to see what you think it is now after having seen it in 2023. Yeah, so essentially what it is, is a collection of the best quarterback prospects in the country. And the way that they get there is by qualifying through regional events. And you have to sign up for one of these regionals. So when we say best quarterback prospects in the country, there's a little bit of an asterisk there because you don't have to sign up and not every single quarterback is going to participate in these things. Some guys have other commitments. Sometimes they're playing other sports, whatever the case may be, but you go to one of these regionals and you compete in basically NFL pro day or combine style drills. And then at the end of the day, you're given some sort of a score and whoever is running it, the coaches, the counselors, whatever word you want to use, they'll, hand out essentially an automatic invite like in college basketball if you win your conference tournament you get the automatic invite to the ncaa tournament you get the automatic invite to the elite 11 finals and then after those automatic invites are handed out from regionals there's a certain number of discretionary invites that they can then pass out to get the total number of quarterbacks to 20. so essentially what you had is 20 quarterbacks out in california last week competing uh, over the course of two days, like you said, with the third day then being the day that they declare uh, a most valuable player. And then a day after that, they announced the quote-unquote elite 11 for the, the best 11 out of the 20. And it's just essentially 20 of, I think it was maybe the top 45 guys in, in the 247 sports composite ranking. So you didn't have every guy in the top 20, but you had all of them within the top 40. And it was a really, really fascinating showcase because you had some of the bigger names that that you've talked about on your show a number of times and written about as well at foxsports.com, Dylan Rayola, Julian Sayan, some of these names that college football fans already know. And so I had a blast just watching them, seeing what their characteristics are like, both as people and as quarterbacks. And it's a really cool insight into some of these names that will probably dominate our sport in the next four or five years once they get to the collegiate level. It's always one of my favorite summer events. I really do look forward to it each and every year because people get to see up close what separates a five-star from everybody else? What step is where it separates a blue-chip quarterback from everybody else? And to that end, I'm curious, as a man who has watched a lot of college football, in particular in the Big Ten, which quarterback impressed you the most at Elite 11? 
Man, that's a, it's a really interesting question. And, you know, you and I share a great editor in Bob Harkins, and he and I were talking about sort of this idea that if you go into Elite 11 as a lower-rated quarterback, but you play really well, should that be worth more than a guy who comes in that's highly rated and just does what he's supposed to do? And so I think if you were talking about the most impressive, it's got to be Julian saying, you know, he was named most valuable player, the five-star Alabama commit out of California, basically within an hour or so of where this event was was at Redondo Union High School uh, in a suburb of Los Angeles. And just his accuracy, his consistency, his poise. I mean, you can see why a guy like Nick Saban was interested in him, especially when you hear him talk and you hear him just sort of describe how he thinks about the position and what it means to him to play or be, uh, excuse me, be committed to play at a place like Alabama. He understands the tradition. He said it was a huge honor just to get a scholarship offer from who he described as the greatest football coach in, in college history. Um, and so that was really fascinating. But then you look at some of the three-star guys that really kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and that, those were impressive to me, too. I look at Ethan Grunkemeyer committed to Penn State, who had a fantastic week. And nobody really even knew who this guy was six weeks ago. And now all of a sudden he's committed to Penn State and played fantastic over the course of three days. And a name that we can keep an eye on in the Big 12 in future years, Will Hammond from Texas Tech. He came out first in the Pro Day event and put up a great score of 45 that I think ended up finishing in the top one or two, despite having to basically bat lead off and fight all those nerves on the biggest day of the elite 11. So kudos to him. So those were kind of three guys that, that really caught my attention, RJ. One of those guys that you mentioned was not Dylan Rayola. So to your point, right. The one that you and Bob had spoken about, and I think that's a great take is what do you have to do if you're already the number one player in 2024, let alone, number one player at this event to really capture everybody's attention. Was he able to do that at all throughout the time at Elite 11? No, he absolutely was. I mean, Dylan Rayola is number one for a reason. And I think another fascinating sort of debate or discussion you can have is, are you the best prospect right now? Or do you have the best ceiling based on your physical traits and all the different things that go into being a quarterback? Because when you look at Dylan Rayola, and you found out that his dad played center for the Detroit Lions, that wouldn't surprise you. I mean, this guy's legs are like tree trunks. He is built. And so when you look at these high school quarterbacks, some of them are slender, some of them are lean, some of them are tall but need to put on 20 pounds. Dylan Rayola looks like he could fit in in an NFL locker room right now based on just the way he looks physically. Um, and he had some throws, especially on some deep balls, where – you know, it just turns over almost like a punt in a way that you don't see from a lot of these high school guys very often. Now, the consistency wasn't quite there, especially relative to Julian Sayan. And in the accuracy event, he really struggled and was very disappointed in himself for struggling in their accuracy event that they had on uh, on Friday morning. But in terms of potential and glimpses, there's no question why this guy is rated number one. And physical traits and projecting those physical traits are two huge reasons why he's at the top of this class. I've often said that it is wrong to take elite 11 performances and layer them over the top of what you expect a college football career to be like. And I can give a history as to the hits and the misses for this event, but getting the invitation has always been the trophy. And as far as I'm concerned, that means you got one of the better quarterbacks in all of college football, but we also knew that before these guys get to the event. So at this event, what is it that they are looking to showcase? What is it that they are looking to prove, if anything at all? 
Well, I think it's a unique environment for a lot of them, right? Because this would be the first time and, and maybe the only time, honestly, in their careers, except if they make it to the combine once their college careers are over, that they will have this collection of talent at their position all in one place. And don't get me wrong. It's a chance to have fun. There's a great vibe among all these guys. It's very laid back and relaxed. But these are competitors, and this is a chance for them to, you know, you heard a lot of them say, find out how I stack up, especially if you were a lower-rated guy and all of a sudden now you're next to two five-stars in these drills that you're doing. And so to me, I think the mental component would be what I was more interested in taking away from this if I was an evaluator because, you know, do you have the, the moxie? Do you have the wherewithal to stand up to 19 of the other best players in the country at your position on the same field? with a documentary camera crew pointed at you in addition to parents and fans and media members. And that's not an easy atmosphere to tackle. And so the guys who come in and really thrive, especially if they're a lower rated guy that just kind of finds a way to rise to the occasion, I think that's really, really cool, especially when I think back on my completely undecorated high school soccer career. And I used to think that I would get nervous in a game against my crosstown rival, let alone, you know, playing a against the kid who's got D1 offers from everybody you can imagine. So I think it's really cool when some of these lower-rated guys just kind of rise to the occasion on the biggest stage. Given half a chance and the opportunity, that's the part of this that I really enjoy about Elite 11, to your point about guys that aren't necessarily rated among five stars or even inside the top 20. You can't have a C.J. Stroud that does appear at a regional, shows out, gets to Elite 11 finals, and then – tears it up. I think he is still the only player in the history of the event to achieve a perfect 50 score and accuracy. And to prove that point, Julian Say and I scored, uh, I assume scored 49 said that he missed it by a point. Is that correct? Do I have that right? Yeah, I, I think they've amended the score a little bit because the winner of the accuracy competition was Daniel Kalen from Nebraska or committed to Nebraska and he was over 50. So they've tinkered with the scoring a lot, but there's no question that CJ Stroud had one of the highest scores that that event had ever seen which is another way in which you can just distinguish yourself, right? Now that guy ends up at Ohio State, another Ohio State quarterback or committed quarterback, we should say, and Aaron Nolan also won the Atlanta Regional. What did he show you at Elite 11? I was really impressed with Aaron Nolan. You know, I don't think he was quite good enough to win the whole thing, but if you had asked me to pick out a top three or a top five in my MVP voting, which I didn't get a vote, but I'm just saying, hypothetically speaking, Aaron Nolan would have been in there. I thought... He throws the ball so well, and now he does benefit from being the only left-handed guy there, kind of that you know lefty jump shooter where it just looks a little prettier. It's kind of the same thing with the way Air Nolan can throw the ball. But you know, I was super impressed with his pro day circuit, and what I mean by the pro day circuit is on day two they essentially go through a throwing script like you would see if you've ever watched the NFL scouting combine, and so it's you know it's rollouts, it's bootlegs, it's deep passes, it's timing routes, all that kind of stuff. But this course that they had was or the script that they used rather was built for right handed quarterbacks because 19 of the 20 guys were right handed quarterbacks. So when you had all these guys, you know, bootlegging out to their right and throwing in a normal motion, you had Air Nolan having to throw across his body on a bunch of these throws. And was it perfect? No, but it was still really impressive considering he was basically operating through this this uh, this obstacle course backwards, if you will. And so I was really impressed with him. And speaking with him and the way he, he talks and the way he describes Ohio State and how he thinks that they can develop him, I was very impressed with his maturity. So Aaron Noland is a name that I didn't know a ton about other than who he was going into this event. But one of the guys that I came away most impressed with based on his combination of on-field performance and sort of off-field intangibles, if you will.
We've talked about the two quarterbacks that are committed to the dominant programs in the SEC, Julian Sand, Alabama, Dylan Rayola to Ohio State. And we've touched, or excuse me, to Georgia, excuse me, Aaron Nolan to Ohio State. We kind of touched on what the Big Ten is representing there. But I would be remiss if I did not ask, how did Jaden Davis look to you, especially knowing he got an at-large bid to Elite 11 in Redondo? Yeah, that was one of the storylines I was most interested in following because at the Atlanta Regional, it was Air Noland from Ohio State against Jaden Davis from Michigan. And it was Air Nolan, the four-star commit, getting the better of Jaden Davis, the five-star commit, to earn that automatic invite like you talked about. And so Jaden Davis got one of these discretionary invites. And there were some times when he looked unbelievable in the seven-on-seven. He really lit it up on Friday morning. Um, but on Thursday night and Friday night, excuse me, on Wednesday night and Thursday night, he had his struggles. The first night, they essentially go through a routes on air situation. And then the second night is that pro day circuit that I talked about. And so, you know, he kind of is developing this reputation of a, of a gamer, a guy who when the lights are on and it's time to play some football, he can get you from point A to point B and he can do it with, you know, some flair and some pizzazz. But in some of the more technique based stuff, he struggled a little bit and he does have a pretty elongated motion. I think because he is shorter, he has to kind of really whip his arm around to generate some of the velocity that some of these other quarterbacks have a little bit more naturally, especially the taller ones with Jaden Davis being, you know, a shade under six foot one. Um, and so I think for, for him, it was probably not quite as well as he wanted to perform, but in the situation that he might've cared about the most, which was a game like setting in seven on seven, he showed up when the lights were on and, and did his thing and showed why Michigan made him its top priority in the 2024 recruiting cycle. Looking at these guys that are committed to these Big Ten programs and these SEC programs in particular, as we are fast approaching 16-team conferences in both of those leagues, the two dominant conferences in our sport, does it feel to you like one conference has an edge in committed quarterbacks after watching Elite 11? Man, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, I, I think by with the idea that Julian Sane and Dylan Rayola were the top two kids, I guess you probably have to give it to the SEC by default. You know, Alabama and Georgia duking it out there just as they basically have done at the top of the SEC standings for the last few years. Um, but the the one name that I'm kind of curious about from a Big Ten standpoint, I mentioned earlier was was Ethan Grunkemeyer. And you talked about how, you know, C.J. Stroud kind of really built his name or built up his stock even more at one of these events. And Grunkemeyer has all these parallels to Drew Aller, because when you think about Drew Aller, he was a three star kid going into Elite 11 from the state of Ohio that basically had no interest from Ohio State and decided to commit to Penn State and blossomed so much that he developed into the number one quarterback in the country by some metrics. And, and Ohio State really wasn't a factor in that recruitment at all, even though they extended a late scholarship offer. Well, Ethan Grunkemeyer is from 15 minutes north of Columbus. The Buckeyes have basically ignored him altogether. He grew up a huge Ohio State fan. His mom played basketball at Ohio State, and he can't even really get a sniff from the Buckeyes and still doesn't have an offer from them. And instead, he's watched as... First, Dylan Rayola was committed to Ohio State before he backed away from that. And now Air Nolan. And that's basically saying, OK, we don't want the kid from 15 minutes away. Let's go to Arizona for Dylan Rayola. And then when that doesn't work, let's go down south to Georgia for Air Nolan. And so I was really impressed with, A, just the way he handled himself on the field in terms of rising to the occasion as a, a low-rated three-star recruit relative to the people around him. But then I asked him straight up, I said, has it been difficult for you to basically watch Ohio State 
go out and say, you know, this kid from our backyard isn't good enough for us. We have to go other places. And his the, the maturity with which he answered the question, I thought was so impressive. He said, look, Aaron Nolan is a great quarterback. He's really, really good. And he fits that system and what they want to do almost perfectly. And that's okay because maybe I didn't fit that system as well as I might've hoped as I, when I was a young kid rooting for Ohio state, but I found a place in Penn state and offensive coordinator, Mike Yersich, who believe in me the way that they believed in Drew Aller. And, and I think that's the best fit for me. So I'm cheering for air to have a great career, just like I'm hoping I have a great career. And I just, I can't imagine having that level of, of uh, self-awareness and sort of maturity as a 16 or 17 year old kid when I was that age. So I was just really impressed with him on the field as a kid who rose to the occasion when not a lot of people expected him to do a whole lot in Redondo Beach and then off the field, knowing he's going to face that question about Ohio State over and over again. He answers it in a very poised and mature way that is in no way bitter or frustrated at being passed over by the team he rooted for as a child. We're getting closer and closer to the LeBron James take on quotes, which is I'm going to be magnanimous here. And I'm seeing this really filter down to our teenage kids. And I'm going, man, I kind of miss Austin Kendall saying we're going to smoke Ohio State because it just gave me something else to talk about. But I get it. I understand uh, for someone to perform that level of maturity at that age is uncommon and frankly probably belies his performance and what they're getting at Penn State. Also sounds like a guy that's going to stay committed to Penn State come hell or high water, which is great news if you're in Happy Valley. I got to ask about the other quarterback committed to Georgia because I'm just interested. Ryan Pugilisi, do I have that correct? I think okay. it's Pug I think it's Puglisi. Puglisi. Okay, we'll go with Puglisi then. I'm a baseball guy. I love baseball. I go to the minor league ball game down the street in Tulsa all the time, see drillers play. I'm all for the College World Series. Look here, man. You throw me, tell me a guy's throwing 94 off the mound, and he's the second guy committed to Georgia. I got to know, what is making that guy go? And to your point, reading your piece at foxsports.com about 11 takeaways from Elite 11, he had to answer a lot of questions about Dylan Rayola. How did he answer them, and how did he take being the other guy committed to Georgia? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought him up, RJ. I was particularly interested in him as well because the school that he plays for, the prep school, Avon Old Farms, is about 15 minutes from where I grew up in Connecticut. So I'm very familiar with their campus. I've been there a number of times. And, you know, just being from Connecticut in general, I'm aware that high school football in that state is by no means Florida, Georgia, Texas, Louisiana, California. They're not putting out a lot of highly rated prospects relative to those states and especially not at the quarterback position because Connecticut is still a state where running the football is essentially the identity of high school football. And so he was another kid alongside Rayola that physically looks like he could go into a game right now and at least hold his own and, and not worry about, you know, breaking in half if he were to be sacked by somebody in the SEC. But this is a kid who was committed to Georgia long before Dylan Rayola entered the picture. He was committed in 2022. And then Rayola doesn't announce his verbal pledge until last month and in, in about mid-May. And again, and a kid who would have, have who would basically in that in that moment have every opportunity to go somewhere else and say, man, the number one kid in the country is now committed to Georgia. Well, nobody's going to give me a sniff because this is Dylan Rayola. So maybe I should go somewhere else because I've got scholarship offers from everywhere in the country, too. But he just said that he's fallen in love with Georgia. He's fallen in love with the culture that Kirby Smart has built and sort of the way that he can train football players from the mental side of things to be tough, to be winners, to develop into that national championship winning style program. And so I think for him, there's no doubt in his mind that he wants to stay at Georgia regardless of what happens 
with Dylan Rayola. And just as I was talking about how impressed I was with the way Ethan Grunkmeyer has answered questions about Ohio State, I think Ryan Puglisi deserves a, a tremendous amount of credit for putting up with the Dylan Rayola questions because, you know, this kid was invited to the premier quarterback event in the country and essentially 50, 60% of questions he gets asked are about another guy that's committed to his school, even though he's very clearly one of the best players in the country at his position. And so that's a very difficult spot to be in. And he said, you know, look, I only get annoyed if the same person asks me the same question over and over again. He said, but if, if a bunch of different people are interviewing me and they all ask me about Dylan Rayola individually, I can't fault them for that. But if you start, you know, really forcing it, he said, that's when it starts to get a little frustrating. But you know, I, I don't think the two of them are best buddies or anything like that, but they don't have to be. As long as they're friendly, as long as they respect each other, they're going to compete. And, and Puglisi's looking forward to competing. And Rayola said the same thing. He's looking forward to competing against Puglisi when they get to Athens. So, you know, look, the kid can sling it. He, he got voted, I think, by on three as the biggest gunslinger in the group, meaning it's when it's on, it's really, really good. And when it's off, there's some Brett Favre to it where he's going to throw a few interceptions here and there. Uh, but no, I agree. If you're throwing 94 off the mound and you're built physically and you're going to a school like Georgia and you have the um, if you have the stones to be willing to compete with Dylan Rayola and not get scared when that kid commits to your school. You know, that's a that's a tough minded kid that I could see why Kirby Smart likes him. And Kirby is not the kind to take guys that are going to transfer in a couple of years. All those guys on his depth chart have stayed put. And I really am interested to see how Ryan Puglisi continues to progress and to the point about the same guy asking me the same question. Sometimes you just got to look at that and be like, hey, we're not going to win this one, editor. We got to go a different way. He doesn't want to talk about this anymore. Michael Cohen, Fox Sports Big Ten specialist in college basketball and college football and one of my favorite reads at foxsports.com. Thanks so much for joining the number one college football show, Mike. Happy to do it. Thanks, RJ. Always a blast. Right on, brother. And that's going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks, as always, to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. And producing today, Kiara Santana, our senior producer, is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torin Westfall. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all on Wednesday. This is